Welcome back to the Jackets Online podcast. I'm Kelly Quinlan, joined by uh, Russell Johnson, the brain trust of the Jackets Online website on the Rivals.com network. And um, it's been an interesting, uh, it was interesting last five weeks, six weeks, whatever it is, as Georgia Tech sort of just went on the went off their skis during ACC play and sit here at the uh, lovely three and six record um, stuck on that three win hump since the Duke game and trying to dig out of it this week with uh, Boston college who has their quarterback back who torched the jackets last year and, and chestnut Hill in front of literally, I think 35 people that were working the game uh, myself included. Um in the mausoleum like environment in alumni stadium. Um, and, you know, last week's game at Miami was uh, interesting. Um, had a bunch of different chances to win that one. Couldn't get it done. Offense only puts up 21 points. Jeff Sims banged up. Doesn't look good. Uh, especially in the second half, you know, the, the turning point for me, Russell watching that game was uh, Mikey Minahan goes out and it seemed like the offense just couldn't really do much after that. And, they lined the zero nose up on, on Weston Franklin, the true freshman. And that was sort of the tale there is they kind of just brutalized the center left guard spot um, and, and, you know, shut down Georgia Tech's offense, Sims skipping some balls, over, underthrowing, not really overthrowing the balls, just underthrows, not stepping into his throws, bad mechanics. Um, and, you know, defensively, they couldn't get off the field when they needed to get off the field a couple of times. And that was your game, pretty much. Yeah, it, it really was. You know, I think, um, like you said, when, when Minahan went out and then the, the quick adjustment that the uh, Miami defensive coordinator made in terms of, you know, lining up the, the, the nose tackle basically right there on him and, and putting a lot of pressure on him right away from his first snap, um, that was something that I'm sure Georgia Tech fans have been, you know, looking for all season in terms of the, that quick of an adjustment based off of a uh, personnel change. Yeah. I think that, you know, credit where credit's due. They, they figured out what to do to win the game and Miami's defense played a lot better. Georgia tech's defense had, you know, a better game all the way around. Um, you know, there's still a lot of issues, structural issues. They're still giving up some big plays in the passing game. Uh, still getting situations where guys have their eyes in the wrong position, but, you saw a little bit more of what happens when, when you have Wanye and Reek playing at their capabilities. Finally, uh, really for the first time since 2019, where the two of them were both on in the same game, and um, you know, corner, you know, Trace Willing actually turned around, tried to intercept a ball. Just the things that um, have been sort of missing, and then you also still have like the really mediocre officiating situation, which apparently is going on just across the league. There was a a weird call in the game tonight um, with Pitt and Carolina. And uh, I don't know what's going on with the officiating, but Georgia Tech's been on the short end of it. I was joking on the board that Jameer Gibbs could be leading the country in total yards right now. If not for all the touchdowns have been called back this season, I think he's in the top six, um, maybe even the top three of that category, but would maybe third. Yeah, he might lead the country in it if – I mean, he's had like six touchdowns called back this season that were all long scores. Um, 
So, you know, it would be interesting to go back and, and uh, you'd have to really like go back and check because some of his runs have been marked off for holds. So like you, he gets like 10 yards credit from in the whole spot of the hold or whatever. So you'd have to really go back and go through the play by play to figure it out. But um, it'd be an interesting challenge for someone. If there's anyone out there, uh, feel free to, to do it. Ping me if you, you figure it out, but it, it, you know, Offense is struggling, man. They they're down on offensive linemen. You know they had one drive where you had the five guys left or right that I thought would be the starters this year, which was Cochran, Kenny Cooper, Minahan at center, and then Haas at right guard, and and Jordan Williams at right tackle. And guess what? They moved down the field, scored a touchdown on that drive. Um, and then you know they finished the game with um, Cochran, Paula at left guard. Weston Franklin playing his first ever snaps uh, of meaning at center will lay at right guard and, and Haas at right tackle. So not exactly what Brent key would draw up, uh, uh, you know, going into the game and, you know, they still have not had Nick Penley most of the season. Jordan Williams has been out in and out of the lineup. Um, you know, Kenny Cooper's basically played one game and then he'll miss a game and then play some of another game. He's just not been a hundred percent. So I think, it's been hard, uh, you know, you know, lines of scrimmage is where Georgia Tech is going to struggle to build depth over time. That's a, it's a real long sort of haul situation. And then you add, you know, like just even something simple like K, uh, KJ uh, Kirby. You know, KJ Kirby hasn't played since I think the second game of the season. And he was a guy who could be a starting tackle. And maybe you move flip Cochran around because he's more comfortable playing left, but having those two guys is a lot better than slide Haas out there. Um, and then, you know, getting weaker at guard. So they're just having to mix and match. It'll be interesting to see who they have this week for this game across the board teams, pretty beat up at this time of year, just in general. And I imagine you'll see some different kids play this week. I think you'll see some different things as well. Uh, you know, the one thing tech fans really wanted to see was the debut of Keon white and, uh, he was okay. I mean, you see the strength, right? The raw strength. He got on there, got a hit on Tyler Van Dyke, cut flagged for it because he got his hands in his face, I think. Um, but, you know, the speed and the burst is not there yet. So I think I would assume Keon will be back next year for that senior year that he has that's free um, to try to, to, you know, have put together a healthy year of film. But it's interesting because you can see the difference between even him and Jared Ivey, right? Jared Ivey's a uh, COVID freshman who played last year, big kid, but Keon White just looks like a man. And, you know, no offense to Jared, who's a really young, talented guy, but he's probably two years away from looking like that. And that's where strength and conditioning and, and having older kids makes a difference. And it's going to be interesting to see what the defense looks like next year on a lot of different levels. But I think the maturity and the body types up front will make a difference moving forward and that's something they're just not there yet. And, and that showed it's showing in these games where they can't get pressure with out blitzing and, and struggling to get pressure even sometimes when they're blitzing. So I don't know, I, you know, uh, was there anything else that you kind of took away from the Miami game? You know, I've been rambling here for a minute, but was there anything that stood out to you, uh, Russell, when you were watching it? Um, I mean, there's something that I think was, and this is always talked about on the message board 
and um, I think people are maybe starting to, to possibly understand a little bit better is the the reason that teams run up the middle the way that they do. Um, when when you saw the um, the, the itty bitty hole that Jordan Mason somehow squeezed himself through on that long touchdown run. And then you saw Gibbs go up the middle for a a touchdown run as well. Um, I think maybe people will start to at least open up to the idea that, you know, they're not just trying to like the offensive coordinator is not just trying to waste a play when they're um, when they do run those, those those type of plays. Um, I would say that. And then, um, but like you said, just everybody being beat up. it's it's not really I wouldn't call it like you know adversity at this point with that Um, I think more so the the adversity would be in terms of you know this this losing streak they're on and you know basically they've kind of fallen from grace since the um, UNC game at the at the bend yeah I mean it seems like they sort of used up their best play in, in that one game and then things kind of went sideways. And again, it's always sort of the same thing, right? Like the first part of the season, you played really good defensive teams, except for Carolina, who they kind of railroaded. And then you get into the second part of the schedule where you're playing um, better offenses, right? Better quarterbacks. You're playing the Kenny Pickett's and, and Brandon Armstrong's and even the kid at Duke's not bad, man. They just, um, just struggle to um, help him. Neither should I have a lot of help around him right now. So, you know, you look at all of that and, you know, they needed one or two breaks in each of those games, right? Like a play here, a play there, a play called back. Um, even look at the game on Saturday. I, I told uh, Padno this when I saw him on Tuesday. I think if Sims isn't down on the long pass to Donica Sanders, right? I think they go down and score and win the game. Like um, they would have had the ball at midfield with about 40 seconds left and had Miami really on their heels. And that's just not, you know, how the cards have played out. And they've had no luck this year, really, aside from, you know, in that Miami game, you had the ball bounce up into Jalen King's hands which was basically the one lucky break they had in the game um, where he returned it for a touchdown. Wanye's play was just an unbelievable play by Wanye and the defensive players getting downfield blocking but on that pick too. But they just, you know, it, it's weird. Um, I, You know, certainly I think there's a mixture of things. that go, There's blame that goes all around coaching, player execution, um, player development, and even um, – just, you know, different things. I think that um, it's going to be interesting to see what Jeff Collins prioritizes in the offseason too because even if, let's say, they win Saturday and they're at four wins, they'll be big dogs against Notre Dame on the road and then obviously huge dog to Georgia. They'll lose those two games probably and you finish it four and seven or four and eight or whatever, four and eight, I guess. Um is that progress, you know, not, not in the win loss column really. So how do you, how do you kick it to the next level? And that's where Jeff obviously has got to figure this out because you start losing the plot a little bit here and, and they need some wins in recruiting and they need some wins on the field. And um, 
he hasn't helped himself at times with the way he's handled, uh, you know, his post game stuff and, and being sort of too, uh, too message centric, uh, I guess would be the right way to put it too positive. Uh, you know, people want to see the pain, right. And it's painful, man. I watched him on the walking off the field at the Miami game and in the tunnel with the players who were art and, and all that. We had to actually stand there and wait for them to, to move by while we were uh, waiting to go to where the post game is. And I watched Jeff and, and the various coaches and their frustrations and all that. And, um, you know, the margin's just not there in terms of where they are, both with their team and, you know, execution and player development, all of those different things. But also I think some of it's coaching too. You got to put you guys in position to, to, to win with what you got um, and whatever that is, you know, I, I, to be honest with you, I think like in that pit game, for example, people would have much rather seen them just blitz their like crazy and see if you can create a negative play versus what happened in that game where you just had extended plays. You're trying to, you know, you're basically rushing three and dropping eight and getting picked apart, like with a really good scheme, you know, just say, screw it, play cover zero and, and send guys and, and see what happens. And those are the things that it will get interesting to see where, where the decisions are that Jeff makes in off season. And that's the thing we get asked about all the time. And, Quite frankly, I, I don't think that any of us have a, a real answer for what he's going to do. I know what people would like to see happen, um, but that doesn't mean that that's what he's going to do. So I don't know. And, you know, financial financial piece is always a, a question. Who you can get's a question, right? Is it an upgrade or not? So those are all the things you got to take into account as you, you look in. And then you see how they play the last two um Last, you know, two, three games, I guess three games left. Like, you know, go and beat BC and give Notre Dame a tough game and see what happens. So, uh, you know, I know Tech fans are really whining about the Georgia game. And obviously it's it's not um, ideal where they're – that they look so much better than everyone else in the country right now. So um, – it's just been sort of the perfect storm, right. For, for Jeff, I think. Uh, and he's got to figure out how to fix it. And that's why he gets paid a lot of money. And, you know, we get paid money to cover this and we're going to do it to our best of our ability. I'm not going to be a dick to the guy and ask Dick questions like uh, people on Twitter want me to all the time, but you know, there's, it's also not sun, sunshine and rainbows. You know, if you're at six and three right now, uh, I think everyone's pretty happy and yeah, let's talk about the fourth down stops you got and the whatever else. But when you're at three and six, we're not going to talk about those things unless you won the game. Right. Yeah. I think, um, you kind of exactly, uh, with that, that's, you know, basically that's just how it goes. I mean, if you, if you win, you know, those are kind of, those can be discussion points and can be things that columns get written about and sidebars and whatever you want to call it. But when you lose those games, I mean, that's just not that's not a topic of conversation. The topic of conversation needs to be about, you know, what went wrong. Um, maybe you're not going to call out a certain player, a certain you know, position or anything like that. That's just not what he does. Um, but just, you know, ways to fix it. And, and the thing that I see a lot of um, Georgia Tech fans complain and talk about quite a bit 
is the fact that they want to see him get fired up. Um, like, I, I don't remember what year it was, um, but somebody was asking Mark Richt questions when he was at UGA, and he started getting a little bit, uh, a little bit chippy with them. And I guess it, then for, for, for Georgia fans, it was something that was, um, it, it kind of, you know, had them all united for him, I guess, if that makes sense. Sure. Instead of this level of division that there is currently between you know, Georgia Tech fans who think Jeff Collins is the answer and are you know all aboard and season ticket holders going to games, not selling tickets to opposing fans. And then you've got the ones who are, are putting their tickets on StubHub three weeks out that are you know negatively tweeting all of the recruits that are you know doing all kinds of crazy outlandish things and it, it's crazy to see the two different sides of, of one fan base yeah I mean it's um it's it's just such a different um thing what and you know it comes across a lot of different ways, right? Cause everyone was fired up by what uh, coach Collins did his different approach. But the reality is, you know, from whatever coach Dodd go, you know, going on from there, everyone's been very kind of pragmatic and, and straight up about what, how they do deal with things and, and super honest and blunt. And so you go to Jeff, who's that's not how he operates. Um, for whatever reason here, and it's interesting because at Temple, he had a different approach. He was not quite as sunshiny for whatever reason there. So I, I don't know what happened. It, maybe it's something to do with what he did. I think, and here's the other thing, and I've pointed this out before too. Like, So the other problem that Jeff ran into is, and this is what Josh Pastner actually did a good job with, but you know, by the way, Tech fans were just as pissed with him two years ago uh, going into that season and and they started to turn the corner, right, and finished in the top half for the league the last two years. But Josh came in and was like, look, we're rebuilding, right, and it's a multi-year plan. It's what I talked about last time, the Dave Clawson plan, right? We're going to redshirt everybody. We're going to focus on and player development and installing our offense and doing these things. He didn't articulate that. If that was the plan, that wasn't articulated to people. And so, you know, he would talk about how elite somebody was or Kevin Harris killing people in practice, which is one of the things people keep bringing up on the board or whatever it is. Right. You know, well, Kevin Harris might be killing people in practice if the D lines killing people and the D tackles doing their job and everyone's doing their job and he's getting loose. Right. It's a different animal when you're in a game playing against an offensive line. that's a lot bigger, more physical. And he's doing that against your twos who are all freshmen. And Kevin Harris has got a year in, in, in Alabama's strength and conditioning program. So maybe he is killing people. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's a lot of different levels to all of these things. Um, I think Jeff is trying to create positive buzz for his program. Um, and I think he was, to be brutally honest with you, too, I think he was just really excited when he got the job. And this was his dream job. And he was fired up and... I think it blew his mind. He was even in that position probably at that moment in time um, and that how it all came together for him. So I think, you know, I, I've seen him start to understand and, and process things a little bit better in terms of how he's met, getting his message across. Hopefully that will continue to improve. I thought his tone was a lot better in Tuesday's presser. Um, 
you know, we'll see. And, and also, you know, there's been in-game coaching gaffes and clock management gaffes. And again, that's hard to, who do you pin those on? Cause it's hard to understand sometimes why, why they're doing that. Or if they really hate a call against an offensive look that they're getting and they call a timeout. Like I understand some of that stuff, but not all the fans do all the time. I thought his clock management's got his clock management's gotten better. So, um, not to make this podcast a referendum on Jeff one way or the other, but you give the guy a little more time. I don't think this is. I think folks need to keep going to the games. And the fun part about this team is you don't know what's going to happen, and they are entertaining. Like I will give you that. Like watching Jameer Gibbs break a runoff, or you know Sims hit you know Adonka Sanders or Kalani Norris or Kyrick McGowan for a big play like they have gotten more entertaining um you know I think I understand where the frustration is from from tech fans with Jeff being a defensive coach and the defense sucking I remember when people get upset at Paul Johnson when the offense was bad when he was a coach they'd have a clunker game and it happens and I'm sure he's doing everything he can to fix it, but it's hard to fix it in the middle of the season. You don't have Tyson Summers sitting on your bench, who's you know a former P5 DC and head coach uh, in college football, who's you know an analyst. That's not the guys. No, and I like the guys who are analysts at Georgia Tech, but they're not those guys, right? It's ain't Alabama or Florida or Georgia. Will Muschamp's not sitting on his bench either. Like so. You know, you can be as mad, but there's just not a lot you can do in the season to change a lot of those things either. So we'll see what happens in the offseason. I, I, you know, um, I think Jeff has a lot riding on this, and I think he will do what he thinks is best, and we'll see if that works or not. But I think people getting bad about it right now is a little crazy to me. Yeah, I think, you know, like you said, especially, you know, everybody wants to talk about this is year three, but, you know, I think. Some people have called not this is it, some people call this year zero or did they call last year year zero? I don't know. I'm not getting into that. I would say last. I would say 2020 is very difficult to count. Um, I, you know, so in all honesty, like so we have other sites. One of the other sites we have is South Florida, and Jeff Scott took over at the beginning of COVID, and they were god awful last year, and they have grown by leaps and bounds this year. But it was because of they start were basically starting at square one almost. They it was almost like last season was a spring for some of these teams that were not veteran teams or not built in the same culture and same program for a lot of years. Um, I think the teams you saw have success last year were older teams that were had been together a little bit more, just really talented teams. I think it's a lot harder when you're, you know, trying to plug different pieces in and um still growing your program from from scratch. So to me, this is year two right now. Um, that's how I look at it. Uh, you know, I said five to seven wins would be where I would see progress. They could still theoretically get there, but to be honest with you, with the way some of the things have gone for them, um, I I may be okay with four wins is like the f- new floor. Schedule is not as hard as I expected it to be for Georgia Tech. But I also wasn't expecting them to, you know, be playing guys smaller than me on their offensive line either and having them start games in the ACC, which has happened. So um, and that's no offense to those guys, right? That Will Lay plays his ass off and does a nice job. But 
how many other schools in the country in the P5 is Will Lay starting at? Duke, maybe? And one or two others that are also in dire offensive line situations, but he's not. And so, you know, that's where it comes down to you got to recruit better. You know, Brent was starting over at square one with the offensive line. Um, that's going to, that's a four-year project, like to get to where you have a solid two deep. They're actually, you know, almost there now if everyone were healthy, but they're not. So I think it says a lot about kind of how far along they've come to. And, and the defensive line also square one, right? They had Brandon Adams who passed away. God bless his soul. And, um, you know, Desmond Branch and Antoine Owens, they were the three defensive players who had played a lick of football that the staff inherited. One of them never played a snap for them. You know, one of them was okay, and Antoine ended up having a serious injury. The other guy, Teji, just it didn't work out for him. And so that's where you're starting at, almost the complete zero. Um, so, again, that's going to take three or four years. Georgia Tech, you're not signing Mr. Five-Star Guy and across the line. They don't have, uh, as Paul Johnson called it, the $250,000 defensive lineman lined up uh, across the board like you might see at SEC school. So um, I think you got to you got to build internally and build through, you know, strength and conditioning and, and all that stuff. And it takes time. And I think ultimately the defense, you this defense is built based on the concepts of having a, a defensive line that's really good at getting after the quarterback and, and they're not there yet. And um, yeah, that, and clearly it has an impact that reverberates through the entire defense as you see guys jump out of, you know, into the wrong gaps and all those other things, trying to, everyone's trying to make a big play and instead of focusing on their assignment and when everyone does their assignment, you, you, good things happen. That's what happened in some of the plays in Miami. And when they don't, you give up big plays, which also happened in the Miami game. And it's been, been like that all year. And, and Jeff Collins' job to fix that. So I don't know. What do you think about this BC game, Russell? You've watched a little bit of uh, Phil Jerkovic and the, uh, the, the mighty uh, Eagles of Boston college. So, I mean, you know, going into when, you know, the this, this season kind of got started and, and he got hurt. Um, I think, you know, Boston College really fell all the way down to a, a, at one point, I believe, in the, the rivals power pool. You guys do. I believe they were either second to last or, or last at one point. And, you know, watching them last weekend, you know, with, with him back in the game, uh, just you know, seeing the complete difference in the, the way the offense is run and the, the confidence kind of seemed like everybody, everybody every player kind of had that that little that moxie back that, that swag they got it back and they hadn't had that in a while and um the Boston College is, is coming to Atlanta and when they get to Atlanta they're going to be pretty confident when they get off that bus um you know Georgia Tech is scuffling and they've got a chance to kind of not really put a nail in anyone's coffin but but really just to you know continue the downward trend for for Georgia Tech and being able to beat them um, I think, you know, Boston College's, you know, offensive line is going to be a, a very, very big factor in determining whether or not they lose or win the game. You know, if Georgia Tech is able to, to generate pressure, I feel like we're a broken record. Uh, but if they're able to generate pressure and find ways to get through gaps, I mean, this is a, the kind of game where they could get, either get 
you know, Jerkovic back. I wouldn't say injured, but, you know, just, you know, get his – Have him think about it a little bit, yeah. You want him to think yeah. about the injury. Yeah, exactly. You know, trying to avoid that getting re-injured or, you know, maybe something else getting hurt or anything like that. Like doing what they did to Sam Howell is basically, you know, how they can really make a big impact and, and, and change the game on the defensive line and, and even with the linebackers. It'll be interesting to see what the tech offense does. It's a physical defense that uh, is really well coached in the secondary, obviously with Halfley, who's at Ohio State and is very is a I think he's a really good up and coming coach. Boston College is a hard job, and he's done a really good job there, making them competitive every week. And um, I think this will be an interesting game. This is a chance to to have a little bit of um, a little, finish the ACC with a little something to make sure you, you're you're on the right foot going into next year in terms of league play. And um, thank God they're not wearing the blackout uniforms or whatever. I, was not looking to see that after uh, the last few weeks of defense. So uh, going with the uh, gold, white, gold, which everyone enjoys. So hopefully that'll bring some luck to the jackets on the flats. Um, we're we'll switch- black, black jerseys. I'll save them for the, uh, the UGA game. <laughs> uh, you know, what's funny is, man, I covered that, that game um, where they took, tore, took, switched their jerseys out. And then Bama just steamrolled them in Athens. I was working for CBS and I was sitting in the press box. I was doing stats and that was, I mean, I don't, it was like a collective just sucking of the air out of the stadium as Bama just dismantled them in the first quarter of that game. Um, So yeah, you know, on a personal level, having seen what happens when you, you try that, uh, Maybe not the week to to. I don't feel like UGA is the time to to break out the blackout jerseys, but who knows? You know, maybe the they you know to be honest, they should probably shelve them um, till the defense is good again. But uh, you know, maybe I'm a curmudgeon. I don't know. The recruits love them. Recruits love every kind of alt jersey. I bet there are recruits who like those ugly jerseys that look like. So Oregon Ward that looked like someone had dropped a couple sharpies in the dish in the washing machine. They were, you know, what I'm talking about. They were like yeah. fleck, flecked or something. I don't. Know. Yeah. Um. They called them. What did they call them? They were like egg eggshells or something. I forget what it was, but God, they were ugly. Oregon's uh very good for an ugly jersey every once in a while. So, uh, you know. Luckily, Georgia Tech, at least the jerseys look nice uh, with the Adidas jerseys right now instead of, uh, you know, some of these other schools and their alt jerseys. Uh, you can't dislike how they, they've looked good, just haven't played well <laughs> sometimes. Um, let's switch gears. I'd like to share a word with you now about our sponsor, Section 103, who bring you the best Georgia Tech clothes out there. Original, interesting clothing with the official tech gold and the official word mark and things that are hard to find anywhere else. I think it's the best uh, best tech apparel you can find on the interwebs. It's like the stuff that coaches wear. It's really cool. You get the AT, ATL logo that they have. Um, all the stuff super comfortable, super cool. And they even have youth sizes and women's clothes and, and are constantly adding things. I think uh, the guy who does it, I've gotten to know a little bit through uh, social media, and he just does an amazing job. 
Jackets Online uh, subscribers can get a discount of 10% off their first order by using the code Jackets Online, all caps. And check out section103.com. Um, great website. They have all kinds of cool stuff. And, and, you know, people for years have been asking me for cool Georgia Tech designs, unique things. Um, and even the coaches are starting to wear that stuff. You know, Andrew Thacker is wearing uh, one of the shirts at practice, which I thought was really cool and something I pointed out, not knowing that it was one of these designs. So check out our sponsor, Section 103. Great, great company. Uh, let's get into recruiting. Um, you know, obviously the big news uh, since last week is, uh, you know, tech fans are very curious what happens with the Milton Mafia and and Paul Tio, right? And that's how we say his name. Yeah, An offensive lineman. Uh, Clemson tells us. Clemson, yeah. According to their media guide, we looked it up. Um, yeah, so Paul uh, hit the portal. Obviously, Georgia Tech's in need of a veteran guard tackle body type uh, for the next class. Uh, so it seems like kind of a logical fit. Obviously, he has a bunch of former teammates on the team now. It's back home. Uh, you know, is there anything yeah. you can share at this point, uh, Russell, just on kind of what's gone on behind the scenes a little bit? Um, I, I'm sure – communications taking place now that he's in the portal but um just kind of is this one you expect to georgia tech to be heavily uh favored in i don't know about yeah yeah i would say heavily favored um i'd say right now um our clemson site reported this morning that uh, both georgia tech and alabama have both been in contact and i, I found that a little bit ironic seeing as you know frankie is a former offensive line coach and Alabama's offensive line coach now, maybe one of the worst college football recruiters I've I've heard stories about since he got there, uh, and and Doug Marone. Um, but you know, just the opportunity that would be in front of him uh, if he were to make the move and and go to to Georgia Tech, kind of just filling in a, a puzzle piece, really. And I think that's something that uh, you know Key has really looked for um number one and you know, his recruiting in the 22 cycle and, and being selective with transfers in the past i think this is one where you kind of could see him collins and, and the rest of the staff you, you know patrick Suttis going kind of all in on because this is the kind of kid that you know can, can make a difference in, in your program and he also would be another example of a kid leaving the state of georgia for college and then coming back and I'm not sure how you market that the way the transfer portal's grown, but it is becoming a, a, a pile on list. I mean, you've got Derek Allen from Notre Dame, you've got Miles Sims from Michigan, you've got oh gosh, I'm thinking off the top of my head here, Kyrick McGowan from Northwestern Georgia Tech. Um, you, you've got even more. I can't even probably think Haas of off from Tennessee, Cochran yeah. from Vanderbilt. Um, exactly. You've got all of these. I wouldn't you have to say, yeah, you're kind of developing a reputation. Like, you know, you can you can leave the state for school. And then if you, know, you don't like it, you get homesick. And here you are. Um, you know, I know that uh, T.O. did play in believe, five games this season. I know he started one. Um, so I believe he would have either four years to play three or three years 
to play three. Yeah, I'm not really sure. I'd have to go back and look and see where specifically specifically falls in the tree. It's funny you brought up a dirty uh, dirty name to Georgia Tech fans and Doug Marone. Uh, do you know the Doug Marone story? Have Georgia Tech fans in, indoctrinated you to the famous story about Doug Marone? No, I have no clue. So D- Doug Marone was an assistant uh, coach at Georgia Tech from he was 96 to 99. And he famously left to go to UGA to be their offensive line coach and stole Ralph Regan's playbook and took it with him to Athens. I'm sorry, uh, what? He took a copy of Ralph Regan's playbook with him when he left Georgia Tech and went to Georgia to coach the offensive line at Georgia as assistant. And I think it was 2000. This is the the famous message. Allegedly, I will say stole, stole the playbook. I, you know, before my time, I was a freshman in college, I think when all this went down or sophomore. Um, So before my time, but still a very infamous story um, amongst Georgia tech fans. uh, That Doug Marone is a a little bit of a dirty word and they all wish him and have enjoyed his mediocrity as a head coach in the NFL and, and at Syracuse, where I think he was 25 and 25 or something like that. And a uh, very bad NFL coach. Uh, I think he won like under 40% of his games in the NFL. Um, and now back in the Nick Saban rehab for coaches who don't coach too good uh, plan. So, yeah, um, that is funny. You brought up Doug, Doug Marone because my mind went, and I remembered like, I had forgot he was there. Um, honestly, it's hard to keep up sometimes with with who's on its staff. I know Billy O'Brien's there, and um, and obviously my friend Charles Kelly is on that staff. But yeah. you know, it's is a very much a revolving door in in uh, Tuscaloosa these days. So, um, yeah, Doug Marone. Um, wow. Uh, you know, and um, then I think wouldn't he have coached Brent Key? I'm putting this together in my head now. Um, I have no clue. Uh, what if, uh, yeah. So he was Brent Key's offensive line coach uh, for most of his career at Georgia Tech. Fun times. Small world, isn't it? Um, yeah. But, but yeah, you don't have to ask Brent to- about that story sometime off the record, uh, the Doug Marone story. <laughs> see what his take is or or, or gasco larry i imagine larry has a larry i'm sure is the one that told everyone that he stole the playbook so um knowing coach o'larry uh, a little bit um i'm sure he was uh none too pleased with that but yeah so um so anyways yeah i, I mean obviously i think they need a guard and maybe a tackle in this class through the portal um that can play at least compete for a job you have back you'll have um you know, guy of guys who played this year, Nick Penley, Jordan Williams, Mikey Manahan, Weston Franklin, and Paula Viapolo. Um, obviously no one really who's played left tackle in a game yet. Um back. So it'll be interesting to see too what happens here. Um, the last two games in the season. Do they try to get Jakai Lefwich a little burn, see what's going on with him or Wing Green? Those two guys are or sort of on that fringe of playing um, have been on the ATL chart air quotes, um, you know, most of the season uh, wings really developed a lot this year uh, is getting close to being ready to play 
And so maybe they try to get those guys a little bit of playing time to get them ready. What do they do with Jordan Williams? Like, where does he fit in? Where does Pen- can Penley play left tackle? He plays played right guard, left guard, right tackle. Uh, so a lot of questions there. What you know, what happens if Weston Frank? You know, it'll be interesting to see what they do with Minahan too, because Minahan can play guard and center. And if Weston Franklin continues to develop, do they slide him out to guard? A lot of different kind of ways to look at all of this. Minahan's had a great season for them at center, though. Uh, so you know, it'll be interesting to see the offensive line next year. But a guy like uh, Paul would really help because he could come in and sure up the left guard or right guard spot and and give them. Um, some much needed uh, veteran body type um, that's a little bit bigger. And he's a big dude, uh, 6'5, 300 something pounds. Uh, not would be a nice uh, plug and play there where they still, you know, are struggling, I think, a little bit to develop depth is at that guard spot. So uh, that would be a big pickup. Kind of what else is sort of the focus here? We're, you know, six weeks away from signing, first signing period, uh, maybe a little bit less. You know, Georgia Tech still has a few spots left. I think they look like they want to fill. Kind of what do you think's maybe the priorities here heading into this first signing period um, with uncommitted guys? Well, so, I mean, you know, uncommitted guys, they, it's no argument that the the top target is, is R.E.A. Thomas. Sure. And, um, you know, finding a way to beat out Oklahoma, Florida, and, and LSU for his, his signature is – Really, it's not going to make or break the class because they have so many other DB targets who could fill that role. Um, but from a, a team ranking standpoint, if they want to stay in the 20s, um, in my opinion, they're going to have to – like he's he's a must-get in terms of that. Um, but, you know, outside of that, you've got um, another DB, Tyler Woodard, um, committed to Mississippi State. Committed, you can call him. Um <laughs> Uh, I expect him to be on campus this weekend uh, for an unofficial. And then um, he'll be one of those who takes an official in December. Um, And then you've also got Will Hardy, who they're still very high on the Virginia commit from, from greater Atlanta Christian, who's, you know, switching things up a little bit. He's a safety. He's a, supposedly going up to see Virginia this weekend. Again, they're going to, they're attempting to try to lock that down, but we'll see how that goes for them. Um, I know I've been tracking well a little bit in terms of his recruitment. Um, so that's certainly an interesting sort of subplot and all this too. Like how, so when you get into these guys, like who have reservations like Woodard or, or Hardy, how committed are they versus still looking around, you know, when we talk about Eddie Kelly, on the board a little bit who committed to South Florida last week and he's supposed to be at Florida state this weekend. So, um, not quite. Um, I think when you get to this point of the year, it's not maybe the, uh, level of, uh, the, the kids shopping around or not the level of commitment that, uh, maybe a hair even below soft, um, in terms of where they are, I think they're all looking and to jump back real quick on Azaria, it's interesting with him because you have um, obviously, um, you know, the situation at LSU where Ed Orgeron's no longer the head coach. They don't have a head coach right now. Um, Florida, you f- they fired the DC there and who he had a good relationship with and it shook him up enough that he tweet actually tweeted something about it. And Oklahoma where 
Lincoln Riley may be in play for NFL jobs again, or, you know, people are talking about him in LSU. So, um, you know, Georgia Tech in some ways is the most stable situation. And ultimately, you know, his two brothers are on the team right now and, and potentially could be here for next year. So does he want to roll, you know, have that opportunity for the three of them to play together? I know Wanye is pretty big on it and so is Azende. So we'll see what happens with the, if they can lure their brother to come to the flats with them and have this special year together. And, and obviously, you know, the corner position is definitely where they need to upgrade. I think just production hasn't been there. Tech is one of, what did I say? Six schools in the P five that don't have an interception from a corner this season. So um, little stats, little things to kind of keep an eye on as, as um, with Azari, I think uh, his recruitment should be pretty interesting down the stretch too, is, Literally, I think none of the schools are particularly in the most stable position um, that you'd like to see if you're a recruit trying to make that decision right now. I think there's just a little bit of flux in Georgia Tech. Ironically, might be the most stable of the the four suitors. Yeah, that's the that's the crazy part. Yep. So, um, so Will Hardy. Um, so we talked about the DBs. Uh, obviously, offensive line is another spot where they'd like to add. Um, yep. You had Defensive Bobby. Line. You had Bobby Mooney get the offer from Tech. You wrote about him this week. Uh, Tech Legacy. Um, you have a few other kind of offensive tackle offers out. Two in California now, which is kind of interesting. Um, yeah. Another Mississippi State commit as well, Cam East, and um, and the Peak Kid from Valdosta. So. They have a few different lines. It'll be interesting to see what they do. I think that's very much also another situation where depends on who's in the portal and what they like out of out of who's available in the portal too. Um, and in terms of who, how those, whatever the roster spots are, end up filling up. It looks like they might have as many as three or four open spots left on the offensive line between the portal and and high school kids, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, and then you talk about defense. Obviously, um, I went to see BJ from Pennsylvania Valley a couple weeks ago. I actually went to see Alton Tarver last week. We haven't even had a chance to run that yet. Great kid, by the way, amazing kid. Um, really enjoyed my time talking with him. Uh, a couple little nuggets that'll come out with that video that are kind of interesting from him. And the one funny thing about Alton Tarver is, um, he sort of uh, he has this freakishly long wingspan. Um, like his hands are down to his knees uh, for a dude that's not super tall. Um, kind of a cool attribute for a big defensive, big body defensive tackle to have long arms. Uh, something that uh, I'm sure Larry Knight's really excited about. And Alton's very much locked in uh, with the jacket. So um, good news on that front. Uh, I think KJ Miles is very locked in. Horse Lockett seems to be pretty locked in. He doesn't talk to uh, – um, he talks to Larry Knight like all the time. They have a really close relationship according to Horace. So, um, you know, I think they've done really good work there. It'll be interesting to see, you know, if they get BJ, that probably ends, I would say, the defensive line recruiting for this class, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I, I do currently expect that to happen. And then – you know, looking around at anything else. I mean, 
I think they look at what's available in the portal. Like if you can get a playmaking outside wide receiver, I think that's something you look at. If you can get, um, you know, an up uh, true upgrade somewhere, I think that's what they look at. But I think they're going to be a little bit pickier with the portal this time around than, and then in the last couple cycles. Yeah. I mean, you kind of have to be. Um, at, a lot of schools have been, you know, kind of just fake it till you make it in terms of, you know, really kind of understanding um, the, the ins and outs of the transfer portal. And, and really, but this time of year is where um, a lot of kids who may be on the fringe at a school, even a school that they may have, you know, like you talked about earlier, made a reservation to, um, those spots become a little bit more available or a little bit less available based off of the, um, the conversations that take place between the recruit and the, um, the, the coaching staff that they're committed to. And just, you know, seeing how that plays into effect with the, the transfer portal is just, I mean, it's it, it's changed the game completely. Um, you, you've got, you know, like I said, spots drying up or spots opening up, kids getting dropped. I mean, it, it's just that time of year. Um, like you said, it's just over a month to go until, until signing day. And, you know, we talked about the defensive side of the ball. And, and we didn't mention um, Javante Mackey, the linebacker from, from Memphis Whitehaven, who uh, Coach Choice went out to see here pretty recently. And um, following that, you know, Mackey has uh, set a visit for the Georgia game, which I'm sure every recruit, like, that, that'll, <laughs> be the, the, that'll be the visitor list that'll probably be um, – I would say one of the best of the season. It'll um, be like towards- the commits plus the rivals 250 for 2023 and 2024. Um, yeah, exactly. And then, um, but Georgia Tech's got to be careful with that in terms of, um, you know, kids that don't actually want to be there. They want to be there to watch Georgia and that kind of stuff. Um, but that happens all the time. Yeah. It's going to be a, um, an interesting, uh, Interesting, interesting kind of final final run up here as they try to put the finishing touches on this class. And, and um, you know, I'm excited to kind of see what happens. Obviously, basketball started up. We're not going to really jump into that yet. Still really early in the year. Um, I think we won't know much about the basketball team until I would say probably – you know, maybe at the end of this month, I think it's going to take them a while to get their legs. Um, if that, even then, because, you know, I'll be interested to see they play Stetson tonight as of the night of posting this and then Charleston Southern. And I mean, I'm sorry, Lamar, um, UGA, and then uh, Charleston Southern and uh, Georgia Southern. So, Mention to see what happens there. Um, looking also it was a early signing period for baseball. Any surprises there, Russell? Anything interesting? Um, so the the number one player in the country is still um, undecided, um, but he's expected to announce um, within the next couple of days. I uh, just expected to. I, I would anticipate it being Georgia Tech, especially with his brother back on the team. Um, his brother entered the transfer portal and then ended up actually returning to school. Um, so that was a, a, a big thing in their favor. Um, and then also you've got the the son of CC Sabathia, Karsten, the first baseman, who um, 
it seems is really focused on kind of making this moment about him and not so much his dad, which I mean, you, you got, you can respect. And um, with, with baseball, uh, there's no deadline for signing. I found out, I think, yeah, I found out today that the, the signing period opened yesterday and the signing period closes next year. Oh, wow. That's kind of crazy. Yeah, so um, you know, in baseball, uh, there that's was... the Paul Johnson uh, signing period. That's what Paul always wanted. He was like, "If you you want to come, then you you sign. If you don't, then you don't." That was the uh, the, the Paul Paul Johnson theory of uh, of uh, signings. Yeah, and that's that's what it is. But obviously, if you know, if they do sign Termar Johnson. Um, going to be really hard for him to actually report to camp as being the number one player in the country um but yeah yeah yeah. he's uh i'm sure gonna get offered several million dollars to go play pro baseball yeah he'll be a top five or top 10 pick in next next year's draft pending there's no lockout of course obviously if there's an extended lockout then all bets are off in terms of kids reporting to campus and i think that you know that may be kind of why that there is this um a strong push to to, to sign sign him on top of obviously the um the b- major boost it would put them in the uh, recruiting rankings i did some some research and if uh, sabathia and johnson both sign with georgia tech they will have the number three class in the country and, uh-huh. and obviously that's something that um that they would obviously really like to do um right now i believe they're 10th um, but, but that number could climb that far just by signing those two guys and, and Sabathia is his own MLB risk, but he's more of a, uh, like, you know, one of the compensatory, like the compensatory round picks or um, possibly even a second or third round pick, um, depending on how things go this coming season. Yeah. It's uh, it's going to be interesting. Dan. It'd be funny if Danny uh, is like setting up his like final run at Georgia tech to be something really interesting or setting up, uh, you know, his successor for a lot of success, but, that's a, a different story for another day. And Russell's about to pass out <laughs> and uh, it's been a long, long week for all of us with uh, basketball starting up. I'm burning the candle at both ends right now myself. So we're going to wrap this one up. Um, appreciate you listening to the Jackets Online podcast for Russell Johnson and Kelly Quinlan. And we will be back hopefully next week.